0: to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets. Ideas change the world. One of the uh, things I've noticed in talking to security leaders uh, is many of them are practitioners. They come from the military, from agency, police backgrounds, uh, and uh, and they have to navigate through um, advisory. They have to navigate Uh, many times gaps in their expertise to be able to really give holistic advice to their business counterparts. Uh, For example, it could be in uh, basic business process optimization, studying how people perform roles in a process using whatever tools they've been giving their people. It could be uh, technology gaps where they leverage either uh, vendors or uh, other technology savvy practitioners um and and it also could be vertical market expertise that is uh they've been hired inside say a hospital and don't have a lot of healthcare background so many different areas and one of the areas that i found unique in the gaps is legal so they can turn to their chief legal officer but remember that the chief legal officer doesn't necessarily always have security or risk background and when I ran into Bill Marsis a number of years ago, I realized here's a guy who has a doctorate of law in 2003, has vertical market expertise, has technology expertise, has business process expertise, and, and there he is running security for uh, a major hospital that, uh, uh, in the uh, Florida area, and just absolutely intriguing, had a wonderful conversation, great conversation with Bill. Uh, uh, since that time though, in the midst of a pandemic, uh, son of a gun in the midst of a pandemic, imagine launching a business. Well, Bill Marsis is one of those brave souls that decided to launch a business, uh, in the midst of a pandemic. And I wanted to catch up with him in particular. Uh, how he brings, you know, one holistically, how he brings his doctor of law experience into his profession and how that's worked for him and then maybe dig in to one of the things he's exploring uh, in the marketplace. Uh, so uh, Bill, welcome to the great conversation. Uh, thank you, Ron. This, this is gonna be fun, this is gonna be fun. So let, let's dig into that a little bit if you don't mind. Um, uh, let's dig into where your doctor of law uh, uh, degree uh, has come into helping you become a more holistic security leader
1: yeah so it's um it's kind of a, a a long explanation but uh where where it really helps is that in in insecurity particularly in healthcare security you we are constantly running into situations that uh butt up against um, legal issues so whether it's privacy patient privacy employee privacy when we're conducting investigations um you know things, things of that nature, or um, th- uh, when we're restraining patients, or when sometimes we need to detain somebody, we want to avoid false imprisonment uh, claims and things of that nature. So um, it, it really comes up quite frequently, and uh, it takes it takes a while for uh, an unseasoned. Uh, security manager or security director to to navigate those waters because they will need to see those issues coming up over and over again. Uh, I was actually in security management before I became an attorney. I I worked for 22 years in in a hospital as an investigator and um, went to law school at that time and then uh, wanted to uh, branch out a little bit. Um, And and I practiced law, uh, law for about eight eight years uh, down in Florida as a medical malpractice defense attorney, and ironically, a niche practice. of So I already had the hospital background. Uh, I, I conducted a lot of investigations before I became an attorney in preparation of litigation uh, for civil and criminal types of issues. And then Uh, ironically, I never did anything with medical malpractice, but that's what I got hired for as an attorney. So, but it, it really worked out well because, uh, as, as a medical malpractice defense attorney, you, you are presented with a number of cases where you have to learn the intricacies of people's jobs in order to defend them. And, and, you know, even though I'd worked in a hospital for 20 some odd years and had a pretty good idea what a radiologist did or a physician or a nurse in the emergency department. I, as an attorney, I, I was sifting through medical charts and decision-making and, and charting and and, and um, really got to walk in the shoes of, of various people in hospitals. And, and that's and when I went back into uh, healthcare, and in, in back into security, it, it it made it so much easier for me to relate to these folks because I had defended them—not not them, but people like them—and so I could speak their language and I could understand um, what what their jobs were and uh, how to keep them safe and and provide that uh, blanket of security for them, uh, knowing what their jobs are.
0: Yeah, and, and that's amazing because uh, what we found uh, as practitioners in this space is to the degree we can have great conversations with, um, with the business, with the stakeholders in the business, where they trust us enough to share where they believe their risks are and their problems and their pain, uh, you can back to the term holistic. You can design programs that help them not only with their business but also with the security and safety of of uh, of their of, uh, of the hospital. So I love that background. Let's let's dig into an example. One of the things I found, Bill, is the uh, how this digital transformation that's going on, is bringing up a host of legal issues, right? Now, a great promise in digital transformation. And most CEOs, if they're worth a grain of salt, have turned to their CIO or CISO and said, "We, I want to know what we're gonna do here because the promise of optimization, customer service, all sorts of things, the promise lies there. And in the hospital, Uh, you're dealing with that too. And one of the the great examples of digital transformation that we've seen in law enforcement and now with security guards is this idea of body-worn cameras. And uh, you just recently wrote an article on this. Uh, I'm gonna be providing a link inside the blog and tied to this podcast, to, to this article. But what I'd like to go through using your JD background, your law background and your security background frame it up for us. What is the opportunity, the big why we would want body-worn cameras in a hospital? And what are some of the issues you um, are coaching other security practitioners today in navigating the legal issues and cultural issues around it?
1: I I actually partnered with our Vice President of Risk Management after we had been uh, receiving uh, numerous complaints uh, against either security personnel, clinicians, physicians, mainly around issues regarding a patient restraint or sometimes there's a a disagreement between a visitor or a staff member. And they would turn around and make fraudulent claims, you know, excessive force or uh, the, the doctor did this, the nurse said that, those types of things. And what happens in, in, in our world in a hospital is that we have to investigate these things because of our accreditation and regulatory issues that uh, require a hospital to um, uh, investigate and research grievances just to um, determine whether whether there's some truth and to fix the issue if there is, in fact, uh, something that happened. But what we were finding was that, you know, what happens in these investigations is involve risk personnel, administration, uh, human resources folks, and all of the people involved that are being, where the complaint is being lodged against, they're, they're placed on administrative leaves. And sometimes these investigations can take a couple of weeks. So we are losing the productivity time of of these folks they're spending a lot of time uh, running down these these claims and then uh, and then we ultimately prove them to be false or sometimes they are in fact true what the body camera does is it it, it's, it's actually think about it as a mobile video documentation system it goes where the security officer goes and Ultimately, it provides a source of truth. And if you could, if you could just play back what occurred during that interaction between the patient and the nurse and the security officer, and and you can instantly understand what happened, what what was going on, who said what to whom, and and what was the tone of that comment or in, in what context that comment was made. We can clear these things up within minutes as opposed to weeks. So it, it, it in essence, it, it, you capture those contemporaneous statements and you have that source of truth. And then what also occurs in a healthcare environment is that we are dealing with an unparalleled in any other industry, the amount of uh, workplace violence and aggressive behavior that is um, um, addressed to physicians and healthcare providers, security enters into those situations escalate. One of the things that we found when we started uh, using the body cameras is how much easier it became for the security officer to de-escalate the situation merely by turning the camera on and just saying hey just to let you know we're recording this conversation because you know inevitably people do not want to capture it on tape misbehaving or acting like a jerk um, so they will take it down a few notches and and then if you can do that now you could really begin to get to the heart of the grievance or the issue that is really bothering them and you do it in a civil tone and Nine times out of 10, it, 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 you can resolve these issues with body camera. Now, if you can do that, body camera then becomes a, a mitigation tool for potential liability because security personnel frequently have to go hands-on, all hands-on. It's when we have to physically place our hands on somebody, restrain them, uh, either with um, that are used in in a clinical setting or sometimes when we have to uh, detain somebody for an arrest um, when they batter somebody sometimes we we, put having all that captured on video it it just makes it so much easier to play that back later and hand that information over to a police officer who's coming to investigate uh, and then so in essence, what I would just say is that a body camera is not only a source of truth, mitigates liability, it's a de-escalation tool, and in fact, it's a, a behavior modification device as well because people understand they're being recorded.
0: You know, uh, a couple of things come forward here. So just to summarize, so you can uh, I can verify I'm hearing you correctly. Uh, I love. I love how you reframed it. So instead of a body camera, we've got a mobile video documentation system uh, that basically is real time that goes along with your security officers. You've got a liability mitigation tool for the rest of the organization. Um, and, And even best of all is you've got a behavior modification tool so it can redirect people from potential... Um, uh, workplace violence into uh, into a de- de-escalation of their behavior. So I love that. Do I have that right? Those are the three big things right there. But you, w- one other thing I noticed, and this has been kind of near and dear to my heart, I want to get back to, by the way, the, the potential cultural issues when you're proposing this kind of technology, potential Uh, liability in its own sense of bringing it into the organization. I want to get into that in a second. but, But I noticed something here, and it's really interesting. You know, for the last 25 years, we've been putting video into companies. But we haven't been putting audio in and and the first time i heard somebody actually used them together to get a holistic picture of what was really going on which is the source of truth you're talking about is the first time i heard about it it was mark reed one of your counterparts at martin luther king hospital in southern california right who said my god we were getting low ratings from our stakeholders because of workplace violence you know we could only get there after work after the incident uh, with video and audio, we can get there before it escalates and de-escalate the situation. So, are we stuck? St- seeing a breakthrough here? Are people start starting to use audio and video together in many different cases, not just body-worn cameras.
1: I, I think um, there's a challenge there because one of one of one of the one of the, um, one of the laws that came out and it's it's an old law, it's called wiretapping. And so there's, you can't record somebody without their consent. And there are several states, there's actually 11 states in this uh, where you, where two party consent. So I, as if I was in a, State where it's single party consent, I can go ahead and I can record people. Idea, maybe not because you want to be recorded without their knowledge, uh, but it's still legal to do that. So, but in a state like Florida, where you need uh, two parties to consent, that was probably the biggest legal hurdle for us to um, to play body cameras.
0: So how did you navigate? So how did you navigate that? Because we have seen that excuse prop up over the last twenty five years. I, you know, I'm afraid it's the wiretapping thing is going to be brought into it. But you had to navigate that somehow with body worn cameras. Yes.
1: Yeah, so a few things. If you provide notice to somebody that they have the potential to be recorded, then you're okay. So what we did at our facilities is we just at all of our public entrances. people. If you're entering our facility, there's a chance that you may... Now, it's, it's not such a huge deal because most people entering a hospital probably are not going to come into contact with a security officer who's going to be recording them on a body camera because there's only certain instances where the security officers turn them on. And, and that's when they are going to these aggressive contact situation or if it's a patient contact type of call. So the cameras are not recording all of the time. They only record uh, when the officer activates the camera, and it's only in these limited situations. So by limiting those situations to just a certain handful of, of, of service calls that the officer arrives at, then you're, in essence, Mitigating that that two-party consent uh, rule, but what we do have is the ability to do that now. A couple other things that are, are happening in our world here, and uh, you know, we're introducing a lot of technology into our environments. Almost every place now has CCTV, so everybody is used to being recorded. Even on the city streets, uh, people are being recorded. The other thing that has really changed us, as a, as a, as a, um, or, or changed the altered uh, the view of the world here, is our cell phones. There are cell phones everywhere. Everybody has a cell phone. It seems like if you're few and far between. We're, we won't find somebody with a cell phone, and on those cell phones are video cameras so uh everybody has the opportunity to record uh in a, in a moment's notice and as you can see you we have all these other kind of pops up around people being able to record on an amateur right out there can or their cell phones and they're recording car accidents or uh people um behaving badly or maybe not even behaving badly but you know just uh, doing things in a supermarket or a mall or in a public setting. Um, so I, I mean it's very prevalent. So it's it's not not as intrusive, I guess you, you would say, uh, as as it may have been considered maybe about
0: 20 right. years. Well, Mark uh, Mark Reed's uh, answer was to not actually capture. Uh, the, uh, message coming across in that dialogue, but actually just sound analytics. So he, he started measuring the aggression level, uh, which is an indicator of violence and that's how he did it. Uh, so he isn't, wasn't actually recording the words, but, but so your advisory to probably anybody, um, whether it's a, um, whether it's a two-party consent state or not, it sounds like would be post signs number one, which is what we did in the old days with CCTV. I, we don't even do it that much anymore. But in the old days, in the beginning, we would post signs. You could your you know video cameras are are doing it. so. You would post signs for audio. There's a chance you would be recorded. That's your first advice. What other advice do you have for security executives if they're going to deploy these body worn cameras? Yes.
1: Yeah, so I would also say that. At the moment they, the officer arrives, just advise people that they are being recorded. Right. It gives them the opportunity to find um, whether they want to be recorded or not. So if somebody is adamant about not being recorded, and as long as they are not taking out their cell phone or somebody else has taken out their cell phone is recording that interaction, security officers are uh, instructed to just turn off the audio component of what is being, um, recorded, but we can still capture that visually because there's no law that says we can't record somebody on a, on a camera and right. CCTV all over the place, but don't record audio.
0: Did you, um, after how long had you been using buddy worn cameras? Uh, at the hospital, uh, up about four years now. And did you see, were there any performance indicators, uh, post, uh, deployment of these cameras, any measurements you could provide back to the hospital that proved that they were working for you?
1: You know, I'm, I'm asked that question almost every single time I'm, um, come into contact with somebody who has questions about it. And unfortunately, uh, we we introduced the body cameras as part of a total package of upgrading security uh, staff in our facilities. So that included changing over to more of a a police style uniform look, uh, giving the officers body armor. We introduced uh, canines to the security program. All at the same time, Now, what I will say is that we did measure metrics in terms of uh, categorical workplace violence in terms of batteries, threats, uh, aggressive behavior, uh, patient conduct, and things like that, and we saw anywhere from a 25% reduction to a 40% reduction categorically, depending upon, you know, what we were measuring. Can I attribute that? to body cameras solely no uh, what i can say is that it, it's it's more likely than not that the body cameras did have a positive impact on those indicators
0: yeah and and by the way what a lesson right um, we're not deploying it, we're not deploying technology in a silo right where we're creating integrated policies, uh, processes, and, te- uh, integrated technology. So it's not just one thing ever. It's a holistic security program, but the fact that you were able to bring, uh, uh more bodies to the table, uh, armed in a particular way with body cameras, uh, uh, the look and feel of the police officer and, and of course, canines as well, uh, led to a 25 to 40% reduction. So, uh, and also, and also, because you're dealing across the company with HR, admin, all these stakeholders that see that their uh, their own business processes, the old their own time uh, spent on these uh, dilutive, if you will, behaviors, uh, boy, there's a savings there too, right? Because they weren't spending their valuable time on things that weren't part of really their purview.
1: Absolutely. The other thing I would add is that it changed the culture in a way too, because it's it's not always the patient who is the aggressor. This is the staff member too, uh, the nurse or the physician. Uh, you know, let me let me just kind of frame this for folks who don't work in healthcare. We we are in a situation where states have reduced funding for uh, mental health. And, and a lot of states have closed down facilities that used to be open and we could provide uh, referrals to, to those those sites. And those places no longer exist. So what's happening is that you have folks that are off their meds or for reason they need, need to be in that uh, you know, caring environment with professionals who are who are specifically trained to deal with behavioral health uh, folks and period of issues that um, that bring them to a facility. But now these folks are being stuck in an emergency room hours on end and sometimes even days until a bed opens up someplace where they can get that type of care. and. Those folks are, are very. Uh, they're they're at a point where they're probably their behavior is the worst, and it becomes very grating on a nurse or physician. And you're there for 8, 12 hours doing your shift, and 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 you know, nurses and doctors, they're they're people too, and they they can they have breaking points. They will snap. Uh, but the the body cameras they create that uh, layer of accountability and, and staff have now become used to uh, security officers uh, recording these interactions, including their own, and they understand now. I, I know that I'm a little bit agitated. Maybe I should have I, I should step away from this and have somebody else. Uh, bill in, in essence bill, it really bill, helped
0: so bill you you we you cut out about the point where you were saying something about i had to pause and get somebody else what what were you referring to there
1: basically folks if they can understand that their aggression level is starting to increase maybe tap out and have a co-worker go in and take care of that patient for them That.
0: Well, well, this is interesting to me, um, and it's not just hospitals. Are we, are we HR, or we, security, or, or somebody, uh, are we starting to deploy training for people to handle stress, especially that we're 18 months into a pandemic? Are, are, are you starting to see that we're starting to actually help people learn how to do that?
1: I would say that before we went into the pandemic, what we were seeing in healthcare from a security standpoint is that we were developing de-escalation training uh, across the board, uh, not only for security personnel, but also for uh, clinical people based upon their risk levels. So, um, a, a nurse in the emergency department or a behavioral health unit would, would get a great deal of training uh, on de and, Self-defense, and uh, a floor nurse would get a minimal amount uh, because they don't they don't deal with it on a daily basis. Like, the, unfortunately, the pandemic has created some realities that where uh, you just can't get into a room with a group of people to do that type of training. And especially what we call didactic or self-defense training, where you have to be hands-on and, and do and demonstrate these. Most most hospitals have just stopped doing that component of it, and are just doing the, the parts of the training that can be done virtually. Got it. Well, as well. As, sorry, as time has gone on, though, what we thought might just be a few months. Uh, of dealing with this pandemic that we'd be over it. Uh, Well, it certainly has not happened. So uh, healthcare organizations are adapting to that. They're retooling and uh, figuring out ways to de-escalation training starting to pick back up again.
0: Well, we can definitely see more and more we're realizing as a society, how everything's interconnected. you can defund mental health. You can defund the police. Uh, but it's going to catch up with you. And the cost of that is going to show up elsewhere. And one of the preeminent places it'll show up is in a hospital. So uh, Bill Marcis, uh, I'm excited that you are now a full-time consultant. Um, you are doing, from what I can tell, you're not only doing traditional assessments and risk management and security planning and strategy, uh, but you're also uh, continuing to leverage that that law degree in new and unique ways as well. Is that correct?
1: Yes, uh, I, I think one of the one of the value adds that I bring to consulting, particularly for um, forensic consulting expert witness type work is I can go into a uh, a case knowing what the attorney is trying to prove and the elements of certain causes of action. And, and I can marshal the facts uh, to that certain situation or to that particular case and, and really in some cases even help uh, the attorney identify other causes of action that maybe they're, they're not saying. So pretty interesting when I, I, when I get a new case, I like to go through it and, um, go through the whole analysis on all the various tort claims that could possibly come out of that fact pattern.
0: So I'm really uh, looking forward to, uh, you doing this full time uh, in your, in your business. Um, I can see where, uh, your peers would love to bring you in proactively, uh, as well as, uh, in the postmortem forensic consulting that would be needed in investigations and, and, uh, litigation. But, uh, I'm really looking forward to your success, my friend, and congratulations on, on the move.
1: Well, thank you very much. It's, uh, it's been a it's been a uh a difficult decision to move into uh consulting full-time i've i've worked for a very great healthcare organization and um i'm going to miss uh working with those folks and those friends i've made there uh on the other side of the coin um you know there's 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 no strangers in life it's only friends you haven't met yet um I'm, i'm to working with other healthcare organizations, other doesn't even have to be healthcare. I work in several different industries and uh, uh, consult uh, on a security basis for them. I did write that article on body cameras. Uh, I wrote it for security directors, it deals with some very complex legal issues. Uh, security directors sometimes cannot convey. Uh, Liability concerns, or how to uh, address potential liability. HIPAA was a big issue uh, when when started down the road of researching laws pertaining to the body cameras. And I was just glad I, I could I could put that all into a, an article and give that to a security director who can then turn it over to their risk manager. House counsel, um, when they're trying to um, make a, a case for uh, body cameras.
0: Well, yeah, uh, like
1: speaking, speaking the language that,
0: right. And that's what I'm saying, you're you you're, you're filling a much needed gap uh, in, uh, in the purview of a security uh, uh, program. So that's fantastic. This has been a great conversation with Bill Marsis, uh, looking forward to you uh, getting linked into uh, his article and uh, and also his expertise. Thank you again, Bill.
1: Thanks, Ron.